0: Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. You want things, but you do not have them, so you are ready to kill and are jealous of other people. But you still cannot get what you want, so you argue and fight. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God. Or when you ask, you do not receive because the reason you ask is wrong. You want things only so that you can use them for your own pleasure. So, you people are not loyal to God. You should know that loving the world is the same as hating God. So, if a person wants to be a friend of the world, he makes himself God's enemy. Do you think the Scripture means nothing? It says, The Spirit that God made to live in us wants us for Himself alone. But God gives us even more grace, as the Scripture says, God is against the proud, but He Gives grace to the humble. So give yourself to God, stand against the devil, and the devil will run away from you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. You are a sinner. so clean sin out of your life. You are trying to follow God and the world at the same time. Make your thinking pure. Be sad, cry and weep, change your laughter into crying, change your joy into sadness. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will honor you. Brothers, do not say bad things about each other. If you say bad things about your brother in Christ or judge him, then you are saying bad things about the law he follows. You are also judging the law that he he follows. And when you are judging the law, you are not a follower of the law. You have become a judge. God is the only one who makes laws, and he is the only judge. He is the only one who can save and destroy. So it is not right for you to judge your neighbor. Some of you say, Today or tomorrow we will go to some city. We will stay there a year, do business, and make money. But you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Your life is like a mist. You can see it for a short time, but then it goes away. So you should say, If the Lord wants, we will live and do this or that. But now you are proud and you brag. All of this bragging is wrong. And when a person knows the right thing to do, but does not do it, then he is sinning. Amen. Thank
1: you so much, Emanuela, for reading our scripture passage today. And Emanuela, I think, is out enjoying a nature walk. So, Birgit, if you can pass along our thanks to Emanuela. Um, That was wonderful. Before we get into the message this morning, let's come before God in a word of prayer. Creator God, thank you for being present here with us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through these words written long ago that continue to have relevance for our lives today. As we unpack this text this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present within each of us. Help us to hear what it is you want us to hear. You know each of our lives, each of our circumstances, I pray that you would challenge us in places where we need to be challenged. And I pray that if we need encouragement this morning, that through these words you would bring encouragement in the places we need encouragement. Be at work in us so that we are more and more people who point others to you, people who reflect your grace and your love, people who are blessed to be blessing. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. In many ways, in James chapter 4, James is continuing to pick up on themes he introduced in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 ends by comparing and contrasting the, the wisdom of the world and spiritual wisdom. James warns against the wisdom of the world, writing this, but if you harbor bitter ambition and selfish envy in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. In James 4, we see some of the disorder that comes when selfish ambition and envy are present. When the wisdom of the world makes its home in the church. James begins by by pointing to the quarreling and conflict that's going on. It seems that that different groups are, are fighting and they're trying to get their own way. James writes, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend what you get on your pleasures. James points out that a a priority shift is needed. Instead of fighting with each other, he calls the community to get on their knees, to turn to God and to pray for what it is they really need. And to truly pray Not just a kind of wish list prayer that asks God to grant all of their desires, kind of like a Santa Claus God, but true prayer. Prayer that wrestles with God, wrestles with our own desires and what God's desires is. Prayer that tries to align our will to God. Prayer that asks God to transform us. The kind of prayer that, that Jesus prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he looked ahead to the suffering and death he was to face, and he prayed, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of the the quarrels and fights that are going on that James sees, there's people's tongues are very busy as they point fingers and talk about each other. This next kind of disorder shows up in verse eleven of chapter four. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. James responds to the way people are talking about each other by reminding them quite firmly, there is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? When we talk badly about each other and when we point our fingers in judgment, we step into God's place as king and as judge. Often we only know part of the story, part of what's going on in someone else's life causing them to do what they're doing. But God sees the whole picture, God knows the hearts. He is the only one who can truly judge. And so when we're tempted to speak poorly about each other or to lash out in anger, James reminds us to bring all those things to God. Once again, he calls us to prayer. We can bring all of our emotions to God, to the one who is able to save or destroy, and trust that God will see that justice is done in the end. We don't have to take it into our own hands. A few verses later, we find another form of disordered speech, arrogant boasting about the future. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Once again, selfish ambition and envy are present, lurking behind the boastful words. We hear in these words a desire to get ahead, to be successful, to be prosperous, That desire is is mixed with an arrogant confidence that believes that the desired future is achievable with just the right amount of hard work and effort. There's nothing wrong with, with traveling, with making plans, with conducting business, or with making money. But the important thing is, what's the spirit that it's being done with? Is it ultimately a desire to build our own kingdoms, to make our own plans succeed, Or are we putting God's kingdom first and asking what God's leading us to do? James emphasizes the importance of humility as we think about the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds the future. We know that God knows. James reminds the the speakers that our lives are like a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. We have a lot less control over the future than sometimes we think we have. As I read James' words, I'm reminded of, of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus reminds his followers that they don't need to be worried and preoccupied with the future, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat or drink. Instead, he calls them to seek first his heavenly Father's kingdom and his righteousness and to trust that God will provide for all of their other needs. James 4 was written long ago, but these words continue to speak to us today because selfish ambition and envy continue to rear their ugly heads, both in the world around us, and yes, sometimes in the church, sometimes within us. The advertising industry has figured out that selfish ambition and envy will get us to spend money. Every day we, we consume ads that, that tell us, you deserve this product. See those people? Look how happy they look. You could be like that. You just need to buy this product. This experience will help you get ahead of the competition. Then there's social media. It's so easy to compare our lives to the carefully curated images we see online. And then envy can slowly creep in. I wish my house looked like that. I wish I could afford those kind of clothes. Do you see that car? They always look so happy. I wish I had a friend group like that. People who I could go on trips with. Or maybe I wish my family could be a little bit more like theirs. We can so easily start comparing ourselves with others, comparing our best, our worst days to other people's best days. Comparison, envy, and selfish ambition are alive and well in the church too. It's so easy for, for churches to start looking at the church down the street and saying, hmm, look what they're doing. Why aren't we doing that? I wish we could be a little bit more like them. If only we had the pastor they have. If only we had the programs they had. If only we had the kind of congregation members they had. If only. As a community and as individuals, we can find ourselves, when when these different voices start to creep in and we start to listen to them, we can find ourselves in some of the same situations as James points to, fighting for what we think we need instead of turning to God, pointing our fingers, judging and blaming each other instead of trusting God as the judge, making our plans and arrogantly boasting of them instead of, resting our future in God's hands. You adulterous people, James cries out, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James sees how the wisdom of the world, the selfish ambition and envy are are making their home in the church, and it breaks his heart. It breaks God's heart. Because when we choose to let ourselves think that way, when we choose to embrace the wisdom of the world, when we allow envy and selfish ambition to find our home in our hearts, we move further and further away from God. We become his enemies as we do and say things that hurt ourselves and those around us. Thankfully though, that's not the end of the story. James, sometimes you read it and it feels like he's giving you a kick in the pants. But there's grace there, too. There's hope. There's good news for all of us in this book. As James writes this letter from a place of love for the church, because he wants to remind them of who they are and whose they are. In James 4, verse 6, we find these beautiful words. But he gives us more grace. In the Greek text, the verse actually starts with the word, greater. So a literal literal translation is greater, but he gives grace. God's grace is greater. Greater than all the quarreling and fighting that James has described. Greater than the messes that we sometimes create or find ourselves in the middle of. Greater than the brokenness of, of my life or of your life. God's grace is greater than our failures, is greater than our imperfections and weaknesses. There's the lyrics of an old hymn that came to mind as I was working on this, and the lyrics are, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. God notices the quarrels. He sees the pointing fingers and judging looks. He hears the things we say about each other. He hears our arrogant boasting. God reads the emails we write and the texts we send. He sees our social media posts. He knows the ways in which we fail him, the ways in which sometimes we fail each other too. And God's response Grace, greater but he gives grace. And what is grace? Grace is, is getting something you didn't deserve. Grace is God coming to you before you've done a thing to earn it. Grace is God laying down his life for yours. Grace is, is God making the first move towards reconciliation. It's the good news that, that when we allow envy and selfish ambition to take up residence in our hearts, when we start to follow the wisdom of the world, the good news that God is the one who takes the first step towards making things right. From the very beginning of, of history, humanity has allowed envy and selfish ambition to drive a wedge between them and God. As you read the pages of the Bible, you find story after story of people who are, who are tempted by selfish ambition and envy. And when they give in to those things, bad things happen. Relationships are broken. Fields and vineyards and even spouses are stolen. People are murdered. Again and again, God's heart is broken by his people who fail to live the way he wants them to live. This is not how it's supposed to be. But God doesn't give up on the world he created. The world he loves with a fierce and jealous love. The book of John tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus makes a way for us to experience forgiveness, healing, restoration. Jesus allows us to experience grace, a word that's sometimes put into the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Through Jesus, God invites us to come before him with honesty about the brokenness in our own lives and to go through a healing transformation. James writes, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James calls the church to repentance, something that's not particularly easy or comfortable. It's a whole lot easier to, to look for justifications and excuses for our actions than to admit wrong. It's easier to try to sweep our problems under the rug to not bring them up, to just pretend that sin never happened. But healing comes when we bring our shortcomings and failures into the light of God's presence and ask for his grace and his help to do the right thing. God wants us to live in right relationship with him And with each other. He wants us to experience righteousness, doing the right thing towards God. And justice, doing the right thing towards each other. And when we come before God with humility, recognizing that we can't do it all on our own. And we don't have it all together. That's when God can work within us. That's when God can show us his amazing grace. And the good news that we don't do it all on our own strength. This past Monday, we gathered with a a small group to dig into this text a little more. One of the participants in the group was reading from the message paraphrase of the Bible and shared the foreword in um, in that translation to the book of James. And so I want to wrap things up this morning by sharing those words with you because they really spoke to me. And this is by Eugene Peterson, summarizing the book of James. He writes, When Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Outsiders, on observing this, observe that there's nothing to the religion business except perhaps business, and dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital collects the sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Many of the people outside the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It's similar with sinners outside the church. So Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehavior is brought out into the open, faced, and dealt with. The letter of James shows one of the early church pastors skillfully going about his work of confronting, diagnosing, and dealing with areas of misbelief and misbehavior that had turned up in congregations committed to his care. Deep and living wisdom is on display here. Wisdom both rare and essential. Wisdom is not primarily knowing the truth, although it certainly includes that. It is skill in living. For what good is a truth if we don't know how to live it? What good is an intention if we can't sustain it? According to church traditions, James carried the nickname Old Camel Knees because of the thick calluses built up on his knees from many years of determined prayer. The prayer is foundational to the wisdom. Prayer is always foundational to wisdom. So with those words in mind, would you pray with me? God, thank you for the book of James. Thank you for these words written long ago that remind us of your grace, your love, your truth, and your desire for how we are to be in community with each other. As we move now into a time of confession in our service, we ask that you would search our hearts. Show us if there are places where we've been motivated by selfish ambition or envy. Show us if there are things we need to be seeking your forgiveness for in order to make things right with you. Show us if there are things that we need to reach out and seek forgiveness for from others in order to be made right with them. If there are places where we have been working on building our own kingdoms instead of building yours, forgive us. Give us the insight and courage to admit it when we're wrong and to humble ourselves before you. Help us to trust you with our lives, with our church, and with our futures. Thank you, God, that you choose to work through imperfect people. Thank you that you love us despite our weaknesses and failures. Thank you for the good news of the grace that you give us in Jesus Christ. Help us to be people who live that good news out and who share that hope and truth with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.